I want to start a, a new series of thoughts on the book of James today. We will next few weeks together. We're going to just kind of walk through James, and it's a real practical study. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of everyday believer stuff. And we're going to talk. This first message is going to be the idea of trouble. So we're going to kind of go through this kind of swiftly, but only looking at a small portion of James one this morning. So now, who is James? Who is this one named James? In fact, his his name in the Hebrew was actually Jacob. Uh, so who, who is this one named James? Who is this guy that's writing to us? There's several James uh, mentioned in the, in the New Testament. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Now just kind of put your mind around that, that he grew up uh, with a perfect brother. He, how many of you... Never mind. Let's don't even go there. <laughs> He grew up thinking about how that, that dynamic would play out, you know. I mean, Jesus, did, oh yeah, you don't ever do nothing wrong, you know, that kind of thing. It would be different riding on the backside of the camel with a perfect brother, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of rough. Uh, so he's one of the sons of Joseph and Mary, Jesus obviously being the firstborn. Uh, James became a follower of Jesus after the resurrection. So it's, it's, if you read some of the gospel stories, you see that his family had a lot of tension with him about who he thought he was uh, proclaiming himself to be and all that kind of thing. They were all in tension with him. And it's like James didn't really get the gist of who Jesus was until after Jesus was resurrected. And Jesus pays him a special resurrection visit that Paul talks about. Later, James becomes the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. He's mentioned in the book of Acts, especially around Acts 15. Uh, he is the leader of the church of Jerusalem. And if you know anything that happens in the church of Jerusalem in the book of Acts, there's a lot of persecution. So he is, he is under a lot of fire. The, the powers that be are coming after him. But you know, Jesus is his half-brother, and, and he's also the leader of the church of Jerusalem, which at this particular time was several thousand people. We see on the day of Pentecost, it just it exploded into a mega church, basically. So it's a large following James has got. But James doesn't appeal to any of that to announce who he is. He doesn't say, I'm the apostle of the church of Jerusalem, or I'm the pastor of the church. He doesn't say, hey, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He introduces himself as this, the bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he wants to be remembered, that he is a bondservant of Jesus. Now think about that, because you know there, there's one idea of a servant, and that may be somebody who's maybe even serving against their will, but a bondservant is a servant that has been set free, but with their will they then choose to serve on their own behalf. So it's like, I'm free to do whatever I want to, but I'm going with my want to. I'm going to serve Jesus all of my life. And in fact, the scripture, t- uh, the history tells us that James died a, a gruesome martyr death. He died a, a death where they took him up on top of the temple, cast him off, and then stoned him when he hit the ground. He died a brutal death. So, so saying that, not to dampen things, but to saying that, he served Jesus with everything that he had even to the end. This is James who we're talking about. So he's writing us a real practical letter. This, this deals with how we are going to live this life, this everyday life as believers. Very, very practical. Very little theology is covered in, in the letter of James, but he, he gives us a bunch of how-tos. In fact, somebody did some research and said that the Sermon on the Mount, remember Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where Jesus talks about the kingdom and talks about all these practical things and all that? is alluded to somewhere around 20 times in the letter of James. So he is wrapping himself around all the practical teachings of Jesus. James is going to deal with our troubles. He's going to deal with our temptations. 
He's going to deal with our tongue, and that's going to be a real fun one. You're going to love that one. He's going to deal with the way we speak and how we speak to each other. And then he talks about how we treat people. It's really, really neat. It's one of my favorite books in the Bible. <laughs> Guess which one of my favorite is? Whichever one I'm in. That's right. All right. So let's read the first eight verses, and we'll cover just a few things this morning. Here he is. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just give it first place. We give it our attention. And as we give it our attention, Lord, we just pray that you would bring your revelation. You would speak to our hearts. Help us, Lord, in this everyday journey with you, that we learn to walk as you want us to walk and be the people you've created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said amen. 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 So sometimes you just get in a, a lot of trouble. You think you have big, big bad troubles. Uh, there's a story about this photographer who was working for a national magazine. There was all these wildfires going on. And, and the, his employer told him, he said, I want you to go to the airport. There'll be a plane waiting on you. I want you to get to the airport as quick as you can. And I want you to fly over this fire and I want you to take some pictures. So he makes his way, rushes down to the airport and gets there. And, and sure enough, there's this plane getting ready to pull out. So he runs and he jumps in the side of the door in the plane. He jumps in. He says, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The guy just, he runs on down the runway and he gets up in the air. And the guy starts talking to him and he says, all right, now I want you to go to the north side of this fire and I want you to circle three or four times because I need to take some pictures of it. The guy looks at him and says, why you want to do that? He said, well, I'm a photographer. Photographers take pictures, duh. He said, so you're not the instructor. <laughs> so you think you have troubles. Uh, this old boy is in trouble. He's in trouble. He's in trouble. And of course, then there was this other guy. He dies. He, he goes to the pearly gates. And there he sees Peter. Peter welcomes him in and asks him one question. He said, can you think of anything good that you've done? This man thinks for a minute. He said, yeah, well, one time there was this biker gang that came to the restaurant I was at. And this guy was harassing this woman. And I, and I stepped in and I told him to stop. He wouldn't stop. He ignored me. And, I, and so I went and I, I pushed him. And he come back at me and, and I slapped him. And then I jerked his nose ring out. And then I kicked over his bike. And I said, you don't mess with her anymore. Peter said, mm, I'm impressed. He said, when did this happen? He said, well, just a couple minutes ago. <laughs> anyway, you think you have troubles. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right. Did, did you notice that James said that when you fall into various trials, when you fall into various trials, he's going to give us some instruction, but, but you notice it's not if you fall, it's, it's when you fall into trouble. These things happen to all of us, don't they? 
Trouble and tribulations common to all people. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's just part of us living here. So we got daily troubles. We got troubles from bad decisions that we make. We got troubles from other people's bad decisions. We got just spiritual attacks. Or maybe it's just life, you know. Sometimes it's just life happens. It just, it just kind of sometimes it, it kicks you in the teeth. But it, it kind of reminds me of another story. A guy said that uh, if you could kick the person in the tail... Who causes you the most trouble, you wouldn't be able to sit down for two weeks. Anybody relate to that point? Yeah, I think so. So Christians are not exempt from having hard times. We know that. We've lived long enough to know that. We, we, we cannot approach life and life even with Jesus on a naive level. We're going to go through difficult times. Difficult things happen. Accidents happen. You know, we, 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 we go through all kinds of trauma. And think about all the trauma and all the trouble that we've experienced over the last couple, two or three years. It's been very traumatic for everybody. And whether you were a believer or not, you still went through all that mess, didn't you? We all go through it. And notice the, the way he words it. When you fall, it, it, you get kind of a picture like somebody's walking along and they, they, they step into something. It just kind of happens. So, so we fall. They're, they're, they're always unwanted. And oftentimes they're unplanned. So it's not... If you fall, it's, it's when you fall. And he says something real odd. He says, when you get all this trouble, he said, count it all joy. Everybody say that with me. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. That, that's, that's an odd thing to say to a, a group of people who are going through really hard times. Is that, can trouble and joy coexist? Can they be actually in the same life? And James would say yes. Because Christians have a different perspective on life and all the things that come our way. We are to perceive things a little bit different. We see things different. In fact, Paul teaches a lot about counting. He says this. He said, I, I, I looked, added, did all the stuff over my life and I counted it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of, the, of Christ Jesus my Lord. I counted it all loss. He said, and I've suffered the loss of all things and I count all that stuff, all those human achievements. I count, count, it's counting different now. I count all that rubbish so that I can gain Christ. And then, then another writer says this. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days. Not, not just let them pass, but, but number them. Don't take life for granted. So, so we count things differently. So he says, count it all joy. So now how can you have joy in the middle of trouble? Hmm. Seems like an oxymoron to us. Joy, first of all, is not rooted in our emotions. It's not rooted in our feelings. Joy is not rooted in the things of this world. It's not rooted in our bank accounts. It's not rooted in the security of our jobs. It's not rooted in the security of our country and our economy. It's not tied to any circumstances. It's not, joy is not tied to health. Joy is tied to something else. Joy is actually rooted in another world. Joy is rooted and grounded in God. And all of His promises that He's given to us. So that means that I can live in a world with trouble, but I can have joy in my life because my roots, if, well, if my roots are in this world, I'm in trouble. I'm in deeper than trouble. But I can live in this world, but my root system has to come from heaven. Has to come from the kingdom of God. Has to come from God Himself. That's the only way we can have joy. And let me, let me say this about God. And I got a lot of this stuff from Dallas Willard. Anything you can get by Dallas Willard to read, it, it is worth your time and worth your effort. 
He, he makes a statement in one of his books called The Divine Conspiracy. He says this, God is the most joyous being in the universe. You think about that. God is full of love, he's full of generosity, and he's full of joy. And Jesus comes on the scene and he starts talking like that. And Jesus, I mean, he, he was, a, in fact, one, one prophet calls him a man of sorrows. He, it seemed like everywhere he went, he had trouble. He had difficulty. But Jesus, even though he was a man of sorrows, he was not a sorrowful man. He was very attractive. I mean, sorrowful people don't attract people. Sorrowful people actually repel people. We don't, we don't like that. We, we, we make our distance with people who are going through real, real hard pain like that. Jesus says this about joy in John 15, 11. Jesus says, these things, talking about all of the commandments that he's given. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Let's read these words. I want you to say them. This is Jesus' words. Now read them with me. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. It's God's will for us to live a joyful life, not to be just sour and down and depressed and agitated and, and stirred up all the time and nervous and, and, and all, all that kind of stuff that we deal with as humans. God's will for us is to live a life that is full of joy. And Jesus says this, my joy, I, I'm going to make an impartation to all those who follow me. I want my joy to remain in you. And I want you to live a joyful life to the fullest and I want to say, add, add to this, so that you, I want you to have joy so that you can enjoy the life I gave you. I believe God wants us to be that way. Jesus makes an impartation. In fact, one writer says this, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Another prophet says this, back in Nehemiah, he said this, he says, the joy of the Lord is your what? Anybody know that passage? It's, it's your strength. So if the enemy can come and steal your joy, guess what he does? Guess what he, guess what he steals? You just wither on the vine. You just lose your strength. You lose your hold. A lot of people do. And now think about this. Jesus, who was constantly under pressure, constantly in trouble with the powers that be, constantly being questioned, constantly being attacked, constantly being shunned, constantly being misunderstood. I mean, even the 12 guys hanging out with him didn't get everything. And he's frustrated. Constantly, all those kind of things. Yet Jesus remained full of joy. How about that? So now, think about this. With this magnificent God positioned all among us and with us, living with us, Jesus brings us the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place to be. If you're doing it with God. Hmm. Count it all Joy. So in order for us to have this kind of joy, our lives must be rooted and grounded in Christ and not this world. Jesus talks a lot about this idea. Matthew 6 is a, is a real big one. That, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says things like, don't worry about this life. Don't, don't worry. I know you got things to do. You got to, you got to work. You got to do your thing. You got to balance your budgets. You got to take care of your kids. You got to buy groceries. You got to do all that kind of stuff. But I don't want you to worry about your life. Instead, this is the key. This is the secret. I want you to make as your top priority to do this. In 633, it's one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. If I sign something like graduation notes and things like that to kids and writing stuff to my, my ball players and all that stuff, Matthew 633 is what I always write down. And it says this, 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added unto you. He said the secret to this kind of living, this, this worry-free living, this, this idea to live in joy, what we're talking about, to seek first the kingdom of God means that you look and see what God is doing all around you and you recognize that and you get involved in it. You see what God's doing in somebody's life. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God at work or God in action, we could say. And you look for Him. You look for Him when you're on the job. What, what are you going to do today, God? What, how are you working in, in, in His life or her life? Can, can I see some of that and, and just let me get to be a part of it? Or what, what are you doing when I'm out and about, when I'm with my friends? What, what are you doing, God? What, what are you going? How? And you get involved in that. And you begin to look for God at work. And it'll change your life. And your life will be rooted and grounded in God at that point. You'll become more aware of God. You'll become more aware of His work and His kingdom. You'll become more aware of His presence. And that's the key to joy, is living this with God life where we're aware, fully aware. We're alive to Him. In fact, that's what Paul said. I want you to do this. I want you to live a life that's dead to sin and alive to God. So, so we're, we're, I'm not so much worried about just doing right and wrong. I, I mean, i got to deal with that. i got temptations and all that. But I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. I'm alive. And when I wake up in the morning, it's good morning, Lord, and not good Lord, it's morning. You know? It's good, good, good morning, Lord. What, what are you going to do today? I'm, I'm seeking you. I want to see what you're doing around me. I want to be a part of that. You'll start experiencing some more joy. Oh, we've got to hurry. We've got a lot we can say. He says this. So he says, talks about trouble. He talks about joy. And then he brings in another one of our favorite words. The word patience. <laughs> mm-hmm. He says this. Knowing that the testing of your faith. So he calls all that trouble that we go through the testing of our faith. Huh. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces Patience. 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 That's the ability to endure, right? That's the, the, the it's, it's not, patience is just not tied to your watch or, or the time, like you're riding your time out. It's, it's you're riding the time out in faith, believing God's at work. That's what it's about. It's the ability to persevere. And boy, don't we need that today. Paul told Timothy to be aware because there'll be a great falling away in the last days. You know why? Because there's some really good people who really want to do the right thing, but, but they just give out. They don't persevere. They, they, they crack underneath the load and the pressures of it all. But see, here's the thing you got to know. The world's not going to change. The world's not, you're not going to be able to say mercy, mercy to the world. And the world says, oh, I'll, let, I'll give you the day off. It's Tuesday. I'm sorry. I gave you a hard time yesterday. I'm going to let you alone. It ain't going to do that now. So what has to happen is the world's not going to let up. So we've got to become tougher on the inside than it is on our outside. We've got to become tougher. We've got to become a people who persevere no matter what. Another scripture says this. It says, though a righteous man falls seven times, he will rise again. You say, Pastor, well, I don't want to fall at all. I don't either. But I'm not standing before you because I ain't never fell. The only reason I'm standing up here now is because I, I, I just kept getting up. I just kept getting up. I got, I've got knocked out a bunch of times. I got knocked down. Some of it's my own fault. 
Stupid. This force said stupid is, stupid does. You know what I'm saying? I'm not here because I'm perfect. You're not here because you're perfect. You know why you're here? You're here because you kept getting up. So keep getting up. That's the idea of patience. Knowing God's at work, He's going to make good on this. And we keep pressing through our troubles. And he says that this trouble is actually going to give me patience. And patience, when it's perfected and complete, I'll, I'll be good. I'll lack nothing. I, I, I'll, be, I'll be fully alive. I'll be fully human. Once patience has its perfect work in me. And somebody said, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> so another guy prayed. He's praying. He said, God, give me patience and give it to me now. Ain't that the truth? But, but we're in need of it. We need patience. All right. So now, so we got another word. We got trouble. We got joy. We got patience. And then he brings in another big word, a big idea. In verse 5, he says this. While you're going through the trouble now, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God for it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So, you know, trouble will bring you to your knees now. Crisis will bring you to your knees. What do you do? You just get through it? Are we just going to ride it out? That, that's not the idea of patience the Bible talks about, just riding out the storm. It's not talking about that. I get patience because I know when I can't do something, He's doing something. But I got to plug into him. And that's where James says right here, if you're in trouble and it's way over your head and you don't know what to do, ask God to give you the wisdom on what to do. You hear me? Because there's a lot of deep waters we walk through. We've been through them. And we need wisdom. But you don't need the wisdom that comes from your experiences alone. Thank God for that. You don't need the wisdom that comes from your friends alone. Thank God for that. Some people helped us out a lot. You don't need that alone. You don't just need book knowledge, all that kind of stuff. Thank God for all that. What you need is wisdom that comes from above. You need wisdom that comes from God. You need to know what, God, what, what would you do right here? What a great question. What a great prayer. And if you lack wisdom, ask God for it. Now, it did say, when you ask, don't doubt. Didn't you hear that when we read through? Don't doubt. Because the, the doubter is double-minded. They, they just vacillate back and forth. And, and you're not going to get anything good out of that. So ask in faith. Don't doubt. So here, when we go through trouble, we're going to wrap it up with this. If you look inward, while you're going through trouble, you're going to be disappointed and confused. <coughs> Because you're not going to find what you need. If you look outward, you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to become anxious. But if you look upward, God will give you what you need to overcome the trouble that you're in. I believe this. I don't just believe it because James wrote it. I'm reading this. I'm like, man, that's exactly how it happens. 
I know. I, I've been there. I, I, I know who I believed and I am persuaded that He's able to do just all that. And Because I've, I've looked inward and I've been so discouraged and down and didn't know what to do and confused and didn't know up from down. And I've looked outward and everything just grows bigger and bigger and the movie keeps playing over and over in my head and I worry myself to death and the line of what ifs doesn't quit coming, does it? It just keeps on coming. But I've also learned to do what the psalmist said. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You hear me? So the secret to living with joy in this crazy world is to live the with God life. Amen. Amen. So we got four big words. You, you could preach my sermon right here. There's four little parts right here. You could preach the same thing. Remember these words. It all kind of works together. Trouble, joy, patience, and wisdom. That's what James he starts off the letter with that. I want to help you out with your troubles. Fight through it. Count it joy. God's going to work patience in you. It may take a patience. That does mean it may take a little time now. And if you need help, you need wisdom, what are we supposed to do? We ask. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord, help us. We, we're going to trust you, Lord, to make it good somehow. Lord, you're going to make it good in this life or, or the next. We're, we're going to believe that. We're going to trust Trust you, Lord. We're going to root our lives in your promises. Thank you, Lord. I just pray you'd help us. Help us. We're going to get through it, whatever it is. And we're going to see you do something amazing on the other side. And my faith's going to grow in the process. We bless you, Lord. I bless your people. 